0: Welcome to this week's show, delighted to be joined by Alan Keane. Alan is the coach of the Great Britain on the 20 National Basketball Team, as well as several other teams. On the show today, he talks about the importance of facilitating players and making sure that they're the centre of what you do. He has a great phrase around giving the players a voice and a choice. And he talks a lot about how to narrow the focus of your session plans to get the best results. Alan is a fountain of knowledge, loads to take away for coaches of any sport here. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy. Alan, thanks a million for coming on. Um, obviously, you have a huge amount of experience uh, in coaching in basketball in particular. Uh, you're the current head coach of the Great Britain Under-20 basketball team. And you're also uh, undertaking a PhD in coaching science with a focus on the performance environment in basketball. So I'm fascinated by this. So I was wondering if we could start off there and you could maybe talk us through a little bit about what you're researching and maybe some of the findings from it.
1: Uh, absolutely, guys. Um, it, well, first of all, thank you for having me on, fellas. Much appreciated. And, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, my, my professional doctorate, I mean, it, it doesn't take the traditional PhD route, first of all, it's it's a professional doctorate where basically, I'm out in the workplace doing my everyday job, which is full time coaching. And um, I'm doing some some studies to unpick what that really looks like. So in effect, what, what it is, is I'm trying to measure <clears throat> um, coaches and players and assistant coaches the impact and the power of, of of self-regulation and how that can impact performance so it starts with me as the head coach really in effect um and and me putting in interventions with myself but before i get to put in those interventions it's unpicking what i do what that looks like and what value does they carry to the development of a player to the development of a team but ultimately to how you shape a high-performance learning environment. So currently I coach Reading Rockets men's team in the UK and and an under-19 Elite Academy program. I also coach with the GB under-20s, but I'm not using them to gather any data. I'm using it over the course of a season with my club team. So it would be a lot of me recording all the practice sessions, all the interactions with the players, Every timeout I've had, whether it's with the Academy team or the Division One Men's team, I'd record the timeouts, the pre-game, the halftime, the postgame. And it, it's it's kind of breaking that down as to as to what I'm saying or what I'm doing or how I'm facilitating the players to become self-sufficient and ultimately perform better under pressure. So I would like to think now it might be a bit of a, a storm at the start and the first few months of the season where the players might be having to get used to me coaching in a different way. So to give some context, we bring in players from the States who are, who've played four years college basketball in America. You know, we'd normally bring in two rookies or somebody who's a first or second year pro. And then we've got this year, for example, two pros coming in from Spain and we had another professional come in from Australia. And then we layer it around some talented academy kids who would be on the GB pathway for the under 18s or the under 20s. So a lot of them are coming from different, different cultures, different environments, different coaching experiences and, you know, I'm bringing them all together to tell them I'm going to coach you in a way that some of you may have been coached or more than likely may not have been coached in this way. And it's very much an at what we would call an athlete centered approach these days, guys. Um, it's it's and, and I've kind of peeled it back to go, well, I don't really want to call it an athlete centered approach just because of how that's been perceived um, in terms of when I speak to other coaches or you, you see a lot of coaches talk about, you know, they're athlete-centered driven in terms of their coaching. Um, but so I've gone, I've, I've peeled it back to say it's I'm calling it a needs-centered, a needs-centered approach, really, guys. And that's kind of taken me on a journey to, to really develop stronger relationships with players and kind of unpick where they're at on their journey. And then me facilitate the session to meet their needs. But it's all built around giving players a voice and a choice. How do you facilitate that? It's all built around helping players to be effective decision makers under pressure while managing their emotional state. And if you look at it from a twofold perspective, the same process is exactly for me and the assistant coaches I have as well.
0: Okay, that sounds absolutely fascinating. And you've touched on several different things that I'd like to get into if we can. You mentioned you're recording uh, all your timeouts and stuff like that and your interaction with the players. So what are you looking at there? Are you looking at to see, are the messages getting true? Uh, Are you giving the correct messages in terms of how you're communicating? Or are you looking to see, are the players engaging in in, in, in whatever form you're communicating with them?
1: Well, the first thing I'll look at, I mean, I'll I'll kind of bring it to life for you guys a bit. Every Monday morning, I go into the office, get in there at whatever time. And before I review the game from the weekend, and before I uh, unpick it, and sometimes, to be honest, paralysis by analysis, before we go through the tech tack and all these game adjustments, the first thing I'll do, guys, is I'll watch my timeouts. I'll watch my pregame. I say my, or timeouts, or pregame, or postgame, or halftime. And what I'll look for that is my emotional control. The first thing I'll be, you know, the content, yes, I will be looking at that. But the first thing I look at is, is my is my state in a healthy, is it at a healthy level? Um, how's my emotions in this moment? And, you know, I i could show you, I could send you a timeout where I'm just a, an absolute idiot in a timeout and, you know, given too much information, emotionally led, you know, getting upset because the score has impacted my emotional state. And I'd like to think those moments have become less and less and less as time has gone on. And there's probably been a 10 game stretch this year where, you know, I, or even longer, I don't know. I'd have to, I haven't, um, haven't measured that in terms of how many times, but I know this year I have felt a lot more in control of my emotional state. So that's the first thing I would look for is how I'm, how am I, where am I, where am I at emotionally? Second thing I'd look at is how much am I facilitating this timeout to be player led first? Um, so we go like I've been influenced a lot by Mark Bennett with the PDS principles and you guys might have heard a lot of his stuff in the past and some mm-hmm. of the listeners I'm sure would have heard that stuff and I was just lucky that Mark has, been ment- has mentored me for 10 years and you know he's done it, he's, it's got to the point where it was official and then it became an unofficial mentoring and now it's just a case of after every game and every practice I'm driving home in the car and or I'm getting in the car and a, a text message pops up and just asks me for a hot review of the game and it, it's all to do with well how were you emotionally? how did you facilitate the environment and 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 that's why I look for in the timeouts same same process how engaged were the players and how safe did they feel to share a voice and the choices they would make on the court or was it coach led where you know i kind of restricted their thoughts and and kind of overshadowed their emotions so there there are kind of things i'd look for first and then we don't pick like what the players are saying um, you know, in terms of what we agreed as success criteria, which is a big one for us, really, because in the timeouts or in the practice sessions, we very, you can very much be pulled in 12 different directions. And then your focus is spread out so wide and thin that it doesn't carry a lot of value when the players go back on the court. So the third thing I would look for in that process is, are we adhering to what we agreed the success criteria was in that timeout? Or are we jumping from pillar to post? And in, am I am I reeling it back in or am I letting it go or am I facilitating it to jump from pillar to post? So there would be three main things I would look for in those timeouts on a Monday morning, for example, when we go through the process.
0: Okay, and it's, it's really interesting to hear when you talk about emotional state. Um, could you maybe outline for the listeners why your emotional state is so important in terms of the decisions that you're making on the, on on the line Um, and like, whether it be in a timeout before the game, after the game and in your, in your general interaction with the players.
1: Well, I'll sell it to you this way. I say sell it, but I'll, I'll pitch it to you this way. Um, Oh, good gosh. His name escapes me at the moment. Virginia basketball coach, head coach, Virginia, um, Oh good gosh, I forget his name, but um, it'll come back to me in a moment. He was he he he. They won the national championship a few years ago, NCAA, and you know he obviously had a lot of interviews and was getting a lot of attention and stuff. And one of the things he said that has resonated with me since he said he said cam is contagious, and that really struck a chord with me in terms of his message was him being on the sideline calm under pressure, I guess it's the Brad Stevens perspective as well. You know, when a coach is seen to be calm on the sideline, it's common sense to think that that could be, that could have a contagious effect on the players. So the the emotional state and the the ability to control your emotions for me will always come first. It will always rise above tech tack. Because I know when I'm at my worst in terms of my emotional state, I know I'm blinded by I'm blinded by the by the tech it's almost a blindfold I'm wearing a blindfold to what's going on in front of me because now I've limited what I can see because it's overshadowed by the emotions and and I've recognized down through the years I'm when am I at my best on the sideline I'm at my best when I'm at my calmest because I'm looking at things through a clear clear perspective I'm looking at things through a clear mind and it's not it's generally not an emotional led response then so we come into a timeout and the players need me to jump in and i'm going in there giving them solutions because that's what i figure they need in that moment well if i do it emotionally led we often come out at timeout with not giving them the most effective strategy or game plan but when i deliver these timeouts or deliver these interactions at halftime or pre-game uh, especially halftime and it's non emotionally led it's a lot better stuff so that's what i've pulled out from re-watching the timeouts back or just putting a GoPro on your chest in the practice and watching the practice back the next day. There's a topic, guys. Like you know, we we spend so much time in performance with video analysis. We watch so much gameplay. We we generate so much, so many statistics, advanced stats, this, that, and the other from our games on the weekends. But actually, how many, how much do we watch the practice back and generate some advanced stats from that? Because that's where the biggest change and shift can take place. I don't want to digress, but the emotional state. Um, will always sit above everything else for me, just for the reasons I've given you. And I'll add one more string to that bow. Let's say, you know, I, I did. Um, I reached out to a lot of players I coached in the past who played national team, and just to give you context, you know, some of them now are playing professional in Europe. One of them is playing in the ACB in Spain. The others playing in the top league in Italy. Uh, another one is playing in the second division in Spain. And another one that I spoke to is a retired player who played in the Olympics. And I asked these guys, like, what do you look for in a coach, you know? And I was delivering a presentation um, to the federation a couple of years ago, and uh, it was to do with coaching culture and coaching environment, similar to stuff we are talking about. So I thought, in preparation for that conference, I'll actually ask the players what what are their thoughts instead of me standing in front of a group of coaches saying, well, here's what I think. Um, and as coaches, we can always there's many ways to skin a cat, as they say. So you you can have a discussion that can talk about everything and it's not a linear process where 1 plus 1 equals 2 and people can argue there's a better way to do it which is brilliant and 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 the, the attraction to coaching for me is you can have those discussions and and guys can your mind sh- your mind can shift if it's something that you think is valuable but when you ask a player what do they think who's actually got to go out and perform um, and is reliant on you with how good you are at coaching the player to get the best out of them, they're reliant on that. Then, shouldn't we ask the players a lot more their thoughts? So, going into the conference, ask asked these guys, please send me a 30 second video, 60 second video on WhatsApp, um, what your thoughts are in regards to what you look for in a coach. And they, they came back with a bunch of stuff. And one of the things they said is, you know, and I could share, I could share, um, Probably seven or eight points about what they said, but in relation to what we're talking about, they were looking for—they're—they're all—they were all looking for a coach who's patient in difficult moments, um, and who's not a dictator, um, and a, and a, basically a coach who's in control of his emotions, his emotions when the, when the game when the game is on the line and the pressure mounts. You know, they were looking for an emotionally balanced coach, not an emotional lead coach. So I think that ties in very well to the the importance of actually being in control of your emotions on the sideline.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting to hear that that from the player's perspective that that's backing up to what you're talking about in terms of your research and what you're finding yourself. Uh, a question on that, though, uh, and I'm not sure on the formal, let's say, coaching education pathways in, in the basketball world, but certainly from the pathways I'm aware of, that it's very heavily focused on the technical and tactical so do you think that we should be working on coaches emotional state and, and making them more aware of how that affects in, in these sort of formal pathways?
1: Absolutely 100% and and I and I 100% believe it should be part of our journey um, as coach uh, in, in our development as coaches. So if you're talking about formal CPD somebody once said to me, how many soft skills have you been taught in, in coaching workshops or coaching clinics or coaching qualifications? How many times have you been taught to be a be- better listener? How many times have you been taught how to connect authentically with a player? And it, yeah, it, doesn't, it does not exist. But I think that the beauty of these days is, you know, there's so many books out there, there's so many resources out there, and there's so many amazing people actually I just got off a phone call with, with a guy called Stephen Rolnick before this, um, before we jumped on here, guys. And, um, you know, he's he's got a book out called Motivational Interviewing. And he's worked in, you know, clinical psychology and, and the medical world for years in terms of connecting with um, patients who might be very vulnerable. And, you know, a book like that, for example, or a conversation with that guy just stimulates your thoughts as to how well you need or could connect with your players. Well, I will, but I will, I'll go a little bit deeper, um, Stephen, if you don't mind.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: I, I think not only. I I think not only should we have CPD, where they educate you and teach you about the soft skills. So, I call them soft skills, the software, such as managing your emotional state such as your ability to self-regulate, such as your ability to connect with players. Um, And I think a lot of it comes from experience because it's just the nature of humans. Everyone's very different and everyone's very dynamic and you can't wear the same hat for the same player if you're trying to connect with two different guys. The approach may need to be very different. But I think what underpins and what really um, goes before all that is a relationship with yourself an honest, true relationship with yourself as, as to who you are in the coaching world or who you want to be in the coaching world. And, and I don't think that's talked about enough. I don't think that's um, discussed enough. And I don't think that's that's um, something that maybe as a coaching domain and a coaching group of, of people that we don't talk about enough. Like we're doing an amazing thing at the moment here in the UK. And I just started it up out of my own selfish interests. And what I've done is every two days, Stephen, and, and I'm giving you context here to, to go a bit deeper. I reach out to a different coach every two days, and I say, "Would you like to jump on a Zoom call and just have a, have a chat? Like take a hot seat Q and I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions about your coaching world, and let's just see where it goes." And I kind of opened it up to other domestic coaches in the country who'd be on the pathway or in the system or coaching club level or whatever. And it's been really refreshing that you know it's it's a lot of guys are really interested in the calls and. It's really nice to get to some level of depth with the coach you're talking to about his journey or her journey um, and what that looks like and the frailties and the vulnerabilities and the strengths and the weaknesses. And some coaches have gone to amazing depths about where they're at in their journey. But again, these phone calls are just highlighted to me the need for us as coaches to have an honest, strong, open relationship with ourselves to know the impact that we have on others when we coach. And, you know, is there a better way to do it? Do we question ourselves enough about, you know, what we truly believe? And then not only what do we truly believe, but what do we actually deliver? How do we audit ourselves? So you're back to kind of recording the timeouts, recording the sessions, reviewing ourselves before you review the performance. How was my performance as a coach to get the best out of the team, best out of each player in these volatile moments? And it's different from week to week because the opposition is different. Um, so I think it starts with ourselves, you know, in terms of you talked about is, should there be CPD for, for the soft skills in coaching a hundred percent, but I think we have to be encouraged and guided. And I guess this is where the strength of a mentor comes about. We have to have that support and guidance to actually dig a bit deeper inside in ourselves to know where we're at, where's our baseline, what's our, what's our parameter in, in terms of knowing ourselves as a coach.
0: Yeah. Okay again a brilliant answer and lo- loads of loads of stuff I, w- I want to come back to what you're talking about nearly is your own sort of coaching philosophy okay and uh, people who listen would have heard o- other people uh, p- people who listen regular would have heard other guests talk about coaching philosophy a-, a good bit but you're talking about again knowing yourself knowing what you want to do how you want to coach and how you want to carry yourself maybe and then you're talking about a heavy emphasis on reflection as well then in terms of reviewing your own performance before reviewing let's say player um performance to play devil's advocate a little bit in terms of the the more formal pathways do we, we, we obviously we're going to need some sort of technical and technical tactical uh, education so do you feel that that's your baseline and then everything after that should be about how you, we work on ourselves and how we form let's say that that that, that your own coaching philosophy and it, uh, integrate those reflective practices in
1: the tech tack i mean you 100 percent. you can't go without it can you but i and i and i don't answer that question Stephen. i don't think it's one before the other i think like many things you know you, you go on the journey you bring them together and you you pack them in your bag and you, you head out the door and you take them both with you every day you go to practice every day you go to training um and you know like i'll give you an example a snapshot of my day yesterday was yesterday morning um, having a Q&A with a coach about he's the GB under 16 coach which was really interesting he's a first year head coach for the national team talking about his strength and weaknesses as a coach then we got into some tactics like he asked I put him on the spot with a scenario two or three scenarios where he had to drop a set plays and this was in front of 50 other coaches on the court and then we talked about you know where he's where he stemmed from what his journey was like what does one of his training sessions look like and we talked about what do you like on the sideline how would the opposition coaches describe you on the sideline so inside that one phone call you had tech tack you're technical you had tactical you had um you know self-regulation you know self rate where's your self-awareness at um your ability to develop a relationship so that was inside one phone call and i think that's a snapshot of our practices you know we, we we've got to go into practice every day being very clear about what we're going to deliver with that age and stage of the team or the players in front of us. What are we going to deliver from a technical standpoint? What are we going to do tactically? But also not forgetting, I have to be on this journey of development. So, this practice, I don't see my practices for my players. I see our practices for us that I've got to be, I've got to develop and get better in these next two hours as well. And part of that is my delivery style, it's my ability to connect with a player. So, for example, one of our close pro players this year was a very, very emotional guy. And, you know, he challenged me in many different ways. And I'd have to prepare for those practices for where 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 his level of emotions might be on a scale of zero to 10, because they did drastically go along that um, that scale. Like it was a sliding scale with him week to week. And some days he'd be at a 10 and the 10 is him at his best. A lot of times he'd be down around zero, one, two or three because of other factors in his life. So not only did I, on that session plan, I guess the session plan sums it up actually, Stephen. On our session plans, what you'll find on them is at the top of the session plan is the success criteria for that session. And it will be two or three things. And then you'll have the content of the session plan, what we're gonna do, so your drills and teaching points or whatever. And every year my session plans get shorter and shorter and smaller and smaller because I'm becoming better at narrowing the focus. But at the, the bottom half of that session plan, You'll find a list of 10 players' names, 12 players' names. And beside them, week to week, I just fill in what I think they need from me in that practice tonight. So, for example, early on in the season, we had two Spanish guys and their English wasn't as sharp as, as the English players or the American players. And uh, I was mindful on there. Um, I, I put a note on there saying uh, t- uh, just something some simple as terminology for Pau and Matthias. Because I, I needed to remind myself that if I'm talking about shake ball screen or if I'm talking about the backside or front side coming off a middle third ball screen, they need to know what I'm talking about. So I would spend time before the practice or before we get into that drill, just, you know, maybe going over what the t- new terminology might be. Another one was with a couple of other players, I would just put down to, I would put beside their name, emotional state. Like they have had, I know they're, they're, they could get emotional tonight if certain things happen. Like if they get fouled hard and we don't call it and we play through it, which we, we often do just to set them up for the weekend for what the reality might be. I've got to be ready to, to, to help manage their emotional state. Um, so, you know, it, they, they're all inside in one practice session. And and again, I don't think one comes before the other. Imagine we start with under 12s for the first time walking into our gym. And the first thing we do is the only thing we bring to that session is technical, technical skills, skill preparation. There's no thought process gone into I need to connect with these guys because I want them to enjoy it. And I want them to come back again next week. Imagine we start a, a senior men's practice, a pro men's team practice with just being business, business, business. And there's no thought process gone into uh, the relationship, the connection, the needs of, of these players emotionally. I think you're, you're heading for a car crash. So I don't, I, I strongly don't believe one comes before the other. I think they, if you go on a level one basketball, coaching qualification I think you should get tech tack out of it and I think you should get the the soft skills out of it as well
0: okay uh yeah and fully agree I think that's it, it's really something that uh, tends to be overlooked maybe sometimes or people especially beginner coaches they don't seem to put the same value on it uh particularly as they embark on their coaching career but um, the more and more I talk to people between experienced coaches and on, on, on this um, it, people are always trying to learn and push themselves on a bit more. You mentioned um your session plans and success criteria that you would outline I'm interested in one, could you g- maybe give us a couple of practical examples of how that looks now, I'm not looking for you to give away any secrets or anything like that but then two, um, does that session plan then sit within uh, a more medium or longer term plan and are there, are, are there overarching success criteria to make that plan up as well? It's, I hope I made yeah. sense
1: there. No, 100% great question. First of all, there's no secrets and, and I mean I think you guys will know that and any experienced coach will tell you there's no secrets like there's nothing that hasn't been done before like even even Mark stuff there, Mark, Mark Bennett, the PDS stuff he'll tell you in a heartbeat that's like there's, it's, it's nothing new it's just been, deli- you know, it's been done before. I think he's on about, it was done, he saw it done in the 80s in some other domain where basically you're facilitating the environment for players, to people to flourish and, and feel kind of um, that their voice and choice is appreciated and used. So there's no secrets is the first thing I would say. It's, it's, it's just a matter of, I think, what's traditional and what's more tra- what's more carries what carries as a trend and what we've done maybe what we do as coaches maybe what we've how we've been coached and and you know you've heard that one enough times before but success criteria is basically defined elements that you want to improve on within this practice session so to bring it to life and give you an example we would go into a practice session with success criteria we would then inside in each so that could be two or three elements we want to get better at. We will then which are basically your your you know, if I was a teacher, I'd say ILOs, your intended learning outcomes, or if we we're, you know, um, you know, your 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 goals for the session, whatever it may be. We call them success criteria. What's the criteria that's gonna help you be successful with, with whatever we choose it as we choose it as? Now, if you bring it to the segments of practice. So some people listening to the call, maybe their ears will prick up when I say the word drills, but you can understand what I mean. So let's call it activities. I've got no problem with the word drill, to be honest, because our drills are not with cones and chairs and on air drills, let's say. So we'll call them drills because that's how that's how I I've continued to go with it. Um, so let's go to the first drill. I, the players... Let's say we're working on, from a basketball perspective. Let's say we're working on the defensive element. Let's say we're working on defending off-ball screens. Okay, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the tech tack jargon I'm going to use now. But so I would I will make it very crystal clear to the players before we enter that drill. The success criteria right now, guys, what success looks like is A, B, and C. So by the end of this 20-minute segment, you need to have shown me that we're developing a level of competency that I feel is acceptable. And that's depending on how often we've done it. If it's the first day, obviously that bar is a lot lower because they're not going to be well-versed in it. If it's two months into the season or two weeks down the line, that bar, that bar of what's acceptable is a little bit higher. And I would just define that based on my understanding of how, where I think the players are at. So I will share with them very clearly what the success criteria is of this 20 minutes in this defending off screen segment of practice. And then when they do it, when they practice it, like inside in that drill, we want the players talking as much, if not more, than the coach. So, what do we want them talking about? We only want them talking about what the defined success criteria was. So, if you're defending off ball screens, and just for, forgive the jargon, but it'll give it more context. If defending, if success defending an off ball screen is this, Split vision between between ball and man. Guarding a space or a ball, never guarding a man away from the ball. Let me simplify it. I want you to lock and chase on the strong side. I want you to gap it on the weak side. So if we define that as the success criteria and punch through the gap, let's say, high hands in the passing lane, then the only thing that we should be talking about throughout that segment, we shouldn't be talking about offense. Because I want to narrow the focus for the players On defense. Now, there will be offense there because it could be a four-on-four drill, four offense, four defense going against each other. And what I do in these drills a lot, Stephen, is I give the players an option, a choice to reset it if they feel it's not acceptable in terms of commitment, which is a behavioral component. Mm -hmm. If the commitment is poor, then the player has the permission, has the freedom, I don't want to say permission because it can be misperceived, has has the freedom to say, stop, let's reset because we're not fully committing to this. So it could be somebody slacking on defense or slacking on offense. And that's more of a commitment thing to the choices they're making. So that's more of a behavioral thing. But the players also have the – and they just reset it and go again. Um, And I can reset it. They'll know I'll reset it if they get below a certain – or I'll just bump a guy in the sideline and say, look, right now I'm not sure the commitment's above an 8 out of 10. For me, an 8 out of 10 is acceptable because to ask for a 10 all the time is not humanly possible. So I'll say to Asher on the sideline, Asher, right now, what's, what's your thoughts about the, the commitment level here? And he'll go, well, oh, it's probably around the sixth. And I'll say, well, if it is, what what you want to do? And it's kind of bumping him to reset it, 10-second reset, remind him what it was, bang, we go again. Now, success criteria from a tech-tax standpoint, I will allow the players to call a timeout in these sessions. And I might say to them, right, guys, this 20-minute segment, um, red team, black team, you have two timeouts for the next 20 minutes. Um, but you've got 30 seconds on the clock in these timeouts. And if they're not executing well, they'll call a timeout. So basically, if one team is scoring a lot in the other in this type of a drill, the defensive team will call a timeout to discuss defensive tactics. But the only thing they should be talking about in that timeout is the success criteria. And what happens very often is they'll start talking about an offensive component. So I'll have to, you know, I'm listening in, my assistant coach is listening in. And that's where we would jump in and realign it, say, no, bang, remind me what the success criteria was. Oh, yeah, it was defending off four screens. All right, you've got 10 seconds. The clock is running. You guys got be- to come out with something. And then they come out of it, they go back into it, and they'll have talked about something. Let's get tighter on that lock and chase on the strong side. Let's really punch through and get skinny on the screen. And I would just listen and I would say, all right, boys, go and show me what you just talked about. So that's where the success criteria just narrows the focus and keeps the session on track with the area that you want to get, you want to develop. Otherwise, what are we doing, Stephen? You know, we're, we're focusing on, it's like, it's like teaching a leaving cert subject or in in the UK here, we call it a levels and GCSEs. It's like a maths teacher or a science teacher teaching the full curriculum as quick as we can just to get through it. So I would argue if, if I rush through the curriculum in six months and I rush and I cut and I cover a hundred percent of what the curriculum says, or I take my time and make sure it's truly embedded and continue to assess it as we go along, but we only cover 80% of the curriculum, I think the chances of having a higher grade in the exam will come from the 80% we covered more than covering 100%, that warp speed just for the sake of getting through it. So the concept is quite similar.
0: Yeah, I, I really, really like the, the, the concept that they have, that they know the success criteria and that they're, that's their focus then because... I, and I also like the, the little um tip that you gave there and anyone listening, really good practical tip of bumping someone as that little prompt to let people, keep people on the straight and narrow. But I think that's a really, really useful practical tool. These are what we are trying to get out of the session and this is what a success, a success will look like. And if the players know that, then they know what they're working towards and it's very, very easy. And very. They, they, I think there's a sense of fairness to it as well. They know exactly what's been asked of them and what, what what I suppose is expected?
1: Well, there's no curveballs with it. Like you know, I you, you I mean, if I was to send you a video of our practice, and if you want, Stephen, I can send you across. If you're if you're a basketball enthusiast, especially, I'm happy to send one across at some point. But the, if, you, are very out, you very often see me on the sideline, just like so. For example, our pro men's team, we'd have 14 guys in every practice because it's a pathway for the younger players to to, to go up against the the pro guys coming from overseas. And, you know, i very often, you'll have two or three subs on the sideline per team. Sometimes when it's a five on five, you'll have two per team with subs on sideline. I'll very often just walk over and say, right, um, Asher, I've used Asher's name already. Asher, what are you seeing here? And I'm just really covertly testing him as to what he's scanning for. Because he shouldn't be looking, he now shouldn't be saying anything to me other than what we've agreed is acceptable, unacceptable, and the success criteria. So if, like, say, defending... If defending ball screens was not a factor, it was not defined as a success criteria for that practice session. And I go over to him on the sideline and say, All right, Ash, what are you seeing? Talk to me, talk to me what you're seeing here. And if he starts talking to me about ball screens, it's my job then to say, hang on a second, just remind me what tonight's success criteria was. Oh, transition defense and defending off ball screens. Brilliant. All right, I'm going to come back to you in a couple more minutes, give you time to refresh yourself. And I'm going to ask you the same question. I will just wandering off and back in the session, pottering around doing this. And then you got the support coaches, and I, I probably should clarify that one, um, Stephen. In our practice sessions, we I don't like to, and again, Mark Bennett has influenced me with this one. I don't like to call it head coach, assistant coaches. I've got I'm lucky, I got two assistant coaches as per se in these practice sessions at our club. We call it lead coach, support coach. So if this first 20 minutes I've it's defined that I'm gonna lead on this one, then Kieron and Dan become the support coaches. So what's the job of the support coach? Support coaches to keep make sure that he's sniping guys in terms of the behavioral stuff, commitment, what was agreed as acceptable, unacceptable. Um, it could be it could be the non-negotiables, which the players have defined as positive touches as much as we can, effective comms, all times alive, and then commit to the choice you make. So they, they were the non-negotiables our team selected last year. So the support coach would be always probing, testing, scanning, sniping guys to see if they're still alive, whereas the lead coach would be facilitating that drill Um, and holding it all together now I go from being I'm supposed to be the head coach but in a practice session I will take on the role of a support coach when it's the turn of one of the so-called assistants to be the lead coach Um, and then I will be going around scanning sniping um, probing guys with the behavioral stuff or or hot getting them to hot review what are you seeing in the moment right here's what I'm seeing okay It's it's, you're happy with that, no I'm not happy with that, right what would you do differently next time, I would do this, right oh really, good, brilliant, bam, subs Asher you're in, Dave you're out, Asher show me, go so it's constantly I guess what I'm getting onto is the cognitive is as draining as the physical in these type of sessions
0: yeah, no, it all makes perfect sense and I suppose you're just knitting it all together so the technical and technical the technical and tactical that you want the players to achieve on the pitch as a team as we've talked about already is very very important but now you're making them uh, putting them in a situation where they they have to develop it themselves they have to talk to each other they have to fix problems which is basically preparing them for game base or the the games that they're going to be playing in and helping them to perform better under pressure so I think it ties in really really well with what you mentioned earlier on about uh, facilitating the players and I think Sometimes as coaches, uh, we, we drift away from that, that phrase in terms of facilitation, and that's all around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you've summed that up really, really well. One small thing that I want to touch on as well that you talked about, you talked about your session plans that you narrowed the focus over the years. Could you touch on or maybe explain that a little bit better? I think I know what you mean, but just just, just in case uh, we, we're talking about something yeah. different.
1: Well, well, there's a very easy way to, to, to kind of underpin the message um, going back around I want to say five years but it could be eight years Stephen I can't remember to be honest um, but quite a while ago anyway in my, my journey of coaching I was, um, I was delivering an under 16 national team session and at the time we had a Serbian performance director in the federation who was overseeing us and basically my line of, of, of my chain of command that I was responsible to so all our practice sessions and all our session plans had to be submitted to him, you know, weeks before the practice. And, you know, that was for every practice. So if we practiced two weekends in a row with the national team, I had to send him in both of those. And that could be four practices because you do two a days for two days, let's say, it, back then. Um, and I'd have to submit that to him two or three weeks before those sessions. And then he'd be there to practice critiquing it, da-da-da-da-da. But after one of the sessions, anyway, we sat down and we were going through the debrief and stuff. And he said to me, he said, Alan, are you coaching these guys with the mindset of what you want them to do or what they're capable to do? And that landed incredibly well with me and still to this day is, is such is alive in my head massively. So what did he mean by that? On that, on that one session, that very that session, or any one of those sessions, sorry, my session plans might have been two pages long sometimes. Just just crazy. Like fitting, and that's a two hour training session fitting so many drills and so many teaching points into a seven minute drill, like planning for a seven minute drill. I look back at it now and I say like, you know, almost laughing. Um, Let's do one ball defense for seven minutes and then do off ball defense for seven minutes, one pass away. And then let's do, um, you know, defensive rotations for eight minutes. And it's just crazy. Like, and the reason it's gotten smaller is for that purpose. I'm very mindful of when I coach teams, players, sessions now is what's the what's best for the player to do less and do it better or to do it more and be cosmetic with it and it's surface level and you know i think last year's european championships for us under 18s it was division a um, which is tough which is really tough Um, all staff members so myself two assistant coaches physio um and team manager we all, we've been together for years, and we said that last summer was was the most enjoyable by far. And I'll put it down to one thing. Uh, it, we did less. We did less. So not only were the players able to cope with it better, but the support staff and myself, we were able to cope with it better. And the outcome was better too. The players played better because we did less. There was less disruption in their heads, and the focus was 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 at a depth where they could cope and handle it. Um, So that's why the session plans have gotten smaller because I've discovered from trial and error and making a lot of errors that less gives us more per se.
0: Again, I just I I love that that's now a practical takeaway that someone can take as in we we talk about planning all the time in in preparation for our coaching and, and planning is vital, obviously. But having that very quite narrow focus on a session, I think, is something that people should really, really take on board. Um, Alan, you've been fantastic so far with your time. I, I'm conscious that we're, we're, we're click, tipping on the 40 minute mark here already. We asked three questions to everyone we have on. Um, so we'll jump into them. What does the term successful coach mean to you?
1: Uh, you know what? I've touched on it already. So um, try to be quicker with this answer than my previous ones. <laughs> You're fine. A, su- a successful coach means very simple. A successful coach is somebody who can hold a mirror up in front of their face and be honest about what they see. And I'm back to a coach having an honest, transparent, um, maybe, maybe it's difficult, but it's honest and it's transparent, which trumps everything else. In my opinion, that relationship with yourself. One coach said to me a few weeks ago, um, great guy on a great journey with his coaching. He said to me, he was a bit scarred and upset about the feedback from players after the season ended. And he said to me, I've always prided myself with having a good relationship with the junior teams I've worked with. And my question to him was, well, how do you know that you've always had a good relationship with the players you've worked with? Because they have told you that, but they're also maybe afraid or may not feel psychologically safe enough to tell you what they truly feel. So we managed to gather his feedback from a different source. We we got another coach. Actually, I gathered the feedback for him because I had a longer relationship with that team he'd coached, having recruited them on one hand and coached them from a younger age on another hand. So my message is simply this, Stephen. Most important thing. Is that relationship with yourself and it can be difficult but you find out a lot about yourself when you ask the players or the players feel safe enough to tell you what their true feelings are about you as a coach and very often you're better off getting somebody else to get to gather that information so they feel psychologically safe to say what they truly want to say but I, i i think my biggest growth has come from introducing myself to myself in that specific domain and being honest about what I see. So, for example, I said I give you a short answers. No, yeah, you're this fine. You're gross. fine. This is this great. This horrendous. Uh, two years ago, um, would have been coming up in three years ago, it was my first time ever coaching in a European Championship quarterfinal in Division A. Now, I'd been to a, an overtime final um, in Division B where we lost to Croatia. But actually, a Division A European Championship quarterfinal was something I'd never done before. We played Latvia in Latvia. And you've got half the Latvia national senior team sitting across from your bench, walking into the game two minutes before tip off. And you've got Christophus Porzingis, who's an NBA superstar, sitting there. And you kind of, and there's 10, it's a 10, 12,000 seater stadium. And there's a couple of NBA prospects on the Latvia team. And, you know, in, in, in that world, we're a little old GB in, in Division A. And that's the reality. Um, I wasn't prepared for that. And I had to come, we lost that game. I had to come out, I had to come away from that game thinking, Wow, I struggled. I really struggled because that coach outcoached me. The players were too good for us and I didn't have a solution. I was I got emotionally imbalanced because of all that. I couldn't the players couldn't hear my instructions from the sideline because the crowd was loud. It was a loud venue, home, home nation, and Latvia are passionate. But I had to walk away from that going, yeah, that's that's partly on me because I wasn't ready for that. And 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 then I had to be at comfort and peace with it. I wasn't ready for it because I'd never done it before. So that was all right. Um, now we got to the quarterfinal Division A again last year and it just felt like another group game for me. I wasn't. Uh, and that was because of, I think, a journey I went through the year before. So to summarize, honest with yourself in some moments and you've got to be willing to say and accept difficult things from yourself and from, from those who you've coached.
0: Yeah, it ties in a lot with what you talked about earlier in terms of the reflective practice that, that you, you try and bring in. Um, can, I just, can I just say something on that reflective
1: practice, Stephen? Just one thing on that. We've got to be very careful, though, because if your reflections are just from yourself and kept to yourself, then you're doing yourself a massive disservice. So some coaches said to me in the past, yeah, I'm a reflective practitioner. You know, I reflect on everything I do. And I, I say, that's brilliant. That's great, mate. That's a great first step. And I say, well, who have you shared that with now that can, that, that can challenge you or maybe give you a different perspective on those thoughts? And if you're not sharing your reflections... Then they're actually just, just your judgments, they, and, and you may not be at a stage where you're comfortable enough to be, or competent enough, or experienced enough is probably the best word because that's the reality of it. You may not be experienced enough to really see those reflections for what they truly are, or the impact that they're having. So I'm very, I'm very big on you have to share your reflections. You have to share it with players, especially number one. Um, you have to share it with you know coaches you work with who know you well. Share it with your partner at home. You know, who sees you coaching on the sideline and get her perspective on it—that can be a—that can be an eye opener in this thing in the tail. (laughs) I've had that. I've had that one time, and it was a good. It was a good turning point for me, actually. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. uh, I think I I remember doing doing something like this before, and I I had the video myself do a session. And after going through the horror of watching myself do the session and filling out uh, the the form, what I did. Uh, and obviously you're going to be really hard on yourself for some things, but then there's other things that I just totally missed um, when I had someone else look at it. A totally different perspective. So yeah, it's a really, really good point that you make. Um, best book, resources, podcasts, anything that you'd recommend towards coaches?
1: Well, podcasts are amazing. I mean, your, people are driving a lot. I'm driving a lot these days to and from practice. As coaches, we drive so much. Um, podcasts are brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Dan Abraham's one, the sports psych show I really enjoy. Um, basketball immersion with Chris Oliver I really enjoy because of the type of coaches he has on there. Talent equation with Stuart Armstrong I really, mm-hmm. really enjoy. Um, just from a basketball fan-specific as well, you know, basketball breakdown is another one I enjoy. There's so many out there. You know, you've got the Perception and Action podcast if you want to go a little bit deeper with the, with the theory behind stuff, which is brilliant, and Finding Mastery is another one for that. In terms of books, I've I'm, I'm, I'm just finished Motivational Interviewing in Sport from Steven Rolnick. I couldn't recommend it enough. It's absolutely business. Um, gives you a good, good good perspective on how to connect with players um, and how to communicate in a way where people feel safe and that connection evolves quicker um other books i would say off the top of my head that i've enjoyed down through the years all blacks legacy is obviously one for culture yeah um you know a brilliant book i read about this german guy who who, who went inside the german system but i forget the name but um yeah there are diamond dozen out there i mean you, you see them shared all over the internet recently you know guys who are doing there's some really good stuff shared online but yeah, Motivation interview stands out at the moment because I'm just reading it as, as we speak. Well, I've just finished it as we speak.
0: Brilliant. And we'll uh, we'll link all those that you mentioned, the, book, the books and the, the podcast and stuff, up on, on the Twitter page. Um, last question. Uh, your top tip for a developing coach. And I know you've talked an awful lot about this and I've probed you a little bit on the questions, but maybe in a way a, a summation that what you think. Top tip for
1: developing yourself as a coach. Uh, I think the easy thing is to say, find a mentor. The hard thing is to find the right one for you. Um, and I'm not talking about somebody that'll sit down, have a cup of tea with you and say, and tell you all the things that you like to hear. Find somebody that would be honest with you, that, that'll go, that there's no filter, you know, in, 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 in a relationship like with your partner, your wife, your husband, whatever, um, it's very much, you get an honest perspective. And, you know, someone said to me the last day, you've been lucky to have mentors like, you know, Vlad and and Mark Bennett and some of these other guys, even people I work with like Matt Johnson. I've been lucky that, you know, these guys will be honest with me. What if you don't have that in your life? Well, everybody has family. And I think, you know, the family are never going to be worried about hurting your feelings if it's for your betterment. So it could, and it doesn't have to be sports specific. Like I, like I shared a story to you briefly there. Or I almost did anyway, but I'll share it now. My partner watched me coaching Sweden, you know, about seven or eight years ago, under 16s, and we it was a three-game series before the European Championships, and we'd won all three games. And I was driving home feeling really happy, and you know, like I'd done a great job, and I'm—I'm I'm a great coach now, and blah 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 blah. And ego's kicking in. I wasn't saying that, but I was feeling it. And um, you know, she said to me, like, you know, I don't think you're—I don't think you—you think you forget how young these kids are the way you coach them on the sideline. You know, there might be a better way to do it. Um, because, you know, they're, you're very harsh with them and this, that and the other. And we had a good chat about it and she really opened my eyes to actually, um, there's, there's a better way to do this in a more effective way. And now this came from a woman who had who'd been a GB gymnast and had Russian coaches who, are, who make Bobby Knight look like a saint and, <laughs> and um, the hard-nosed coaches. So it was a really great um, recalibrator for me in that moment to take a step back and go, Actually, yeah, I probably do need to think about how I am behaving on the sideline and how it's impacting the players. So I think finding a mentor is number one. You could have a mentor in the form of a camera too. Put put your phone up on the side as you as you, as you you record, as, as you're giving a halftime team talk and go back and watch it. And then share it with somebody. Send it to one of your colleagues. Send it to another coach. What do you think? You know, coaches. Coach. all coaches want to do is talk. I mean, you've asked me a question here and I've just babbled on for freaking ages in each answer. But coaches love to talk. So... I mean, I, I, it's, it's really, really a fascinating domain and a fascinating world because most are willing to really share and everybody seems to want to help. There's, there's a desire to help. And, and I think, you know, you're never short of a mentor if you're willing to share what you do.
0: Uh, and you might think you were babbling but that's some really really good stuff in there Alan uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on um, some of the stuff I, I could speak to you for hours but some of the stuff is fantastic like right when you talk about facilitating players and, and making sure that the, that they're at the centre of what you do I love that uh, phrase of giving players a voice and a choice um, the real practical tips in terms of uh, success criteria and narrowing the focus of your session plans and then Uh, i know it's not your own uh, quote but talking about managing your emotional state and that calm is contagious i I think that's really really powerful and loads of uh, uh, loads of practical things that people can take away so thanks so much for coming on thank you for listening to the show we hope you can take something from it that will help with your own coaching journey as always you can listen or subscribe on apple podcasts spotify and soundcloud and you can find us on all social media channels at Bubble Coaching on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please get in touch because we would love to hear from you. The show was produced by Niall Williams and brought to you by the Coach Education Department of the Camogie Association.
1: Thanks again for listening. Till next time.